Mean O'Lion Media presents the Safe Conversations with Kevin Waits podcast. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Kevin Waits again, and I'd like to welcome you to a new episode of Safe Conversations, where we sit around and we unpack our bags. We talk about things that impact us all in a safe place with hopes that we can all move forward together. Now, I caution you, do not get it twisted. Just because I say safe doesn't mean soft. We have serious conversations, serious, serious conversations about everything. And so uh, I do want to take a minute and just thank our listening audience from other countries, other zip codes, other area codes. We've been getting feedback. I know you're listening. And as long as you keep listening, me and my guests going to keep talking. I want to take this opportunity to welcome Dr. Jessica Green to Safe Conversations this evening. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, absolutely. I appreciate the opportunity. All right. All right. Well, let's just jump right in. Can you tell our listening audience uh, a little bit about yourself, your family, uh, your background, your education, anything you think we need to know? Absolutely. And, And Kelvin, first of all, I want to thank you for taking the opportunity to discuss this critical and crucial conversation, because this is something that many of us try to avoid. And I am so thankful that you decided to allow this to be your platform for this case, for this safe conversation. Um, so I definitely wanted to, to tell you that. But a little bit about myself. Um, I was born and raised in Sumter, South Carolina, and I am a graduate of Sumter High School. And at Sumter High School, I ran track um, and had the opportunity to attend Coastal Carolina University on a track and athletic scholarship. But a little bit further background about me, I was raised by a single parent, not by choice. Uh, My father died when my twin sister and I were 16 months old and my two brothers were 11 and 13. So when you talk about perseverance, when you talk about mental health, when we talk about your ability to not allow your lived experiences to determine who you are, you know, that's my story. So as I attended Coastal, graduated Coastal, and then decided to earn a master's degree in school counseling and clinical counseling, and that led me to working with Horry County Schools for 14 years as a professional school counselor. And then I took that leap into private practice. Um, In April, it will be seven years, believe it or not. And through that journey, there are a couple of key characteristics that my mom shared with us that I continue, continue to use. Um, as I venture through life. So those, I'm just going to highlight those five ones really quick, but those five are perseverance. You know, our ability to never get up no matter how hard it may become. The value of education, you know, reaching your goals and reaching your full potential because being that my father died active duty, my siblings and I were able to attend college on the GI Bill. So I call it that collateral beauty. Even though he died active duty, he said, you know, Jessica, Julia, Bobby, and Norman, I'm going to start your academic career in college, but it's up to you how far you go and how far you take it. So for me, my mom and my dad became my reason why, why I continued and was able to earn that, that terminal degree. The value of being a part of the community, you know, Kelvin, you know, I sit on the Murder Beach Air Chamber of Commerce Board of Directors. I'm chair of the DEI Council, chair of Leadership Grand Strand. I sit on the board of visitors at Coastal Carolina University on the Spadoni's um, 
College of Education and Social Sciences Board of Visitors, um, a part of Leadership Grand Strand, which is, you know, again, part of Chamber, and then Junior League, along with many other organizations. So when we talk about, you know, mental health, and we talk about giving back, and we talk about that sense of community, that's extremely important. And then the last two are the value of hard work and humility, you know, not allowing those moments to stop you, but actually fuel you to be able to give even more back to your community um, and being your true authentic self. That's pretty awesome. I learned, you know, I see you all the time. Uh, you're out in the community. You go hard. I mean, I see you. You're really involved. Uh, but I learned a lot, you know. Uh, and the one thing that I already knew, but but just to hear your story confirms it, is nobody gave you nothing. You know what I'm saying? You, you all about that grind, you know. And that's, and that's important because, believe it or not, everybody's watching. You know what I'm saying? And you can't fake work ethic. You can't fake grind. So I appreciate you doing that. Uh, it's him. It's Women's History Month. And I definitely wanted to highlight you before this month closed out for those reasons. You go hard in the community. Uh, I, I'm excited, even though it happened seven years ago that you took the leap. You know what I'm saying? And, and I know it had to be fit. You had to be a little scared. You know what I'm saying? But you did it scared, like people say. Uh, so why, why, why was working with young people uh important to you why why did, you know what i'm saying why did you choose number one this field and number two starting out working in public schools and and calvin definitely through my lived experiences because when my father passed away even though julie and i were 16 months old we had that issue of abandonment so when it was time for my mom to take us to daycare when she left us with our mentality she wasn't coming back so through my lived experience with mental health, I want to get back. And my mom was a person, well, continue to, continue to be a person that people respect, admire, and look up to. And that's who I wanted to be. So those individuals who may be going through those lived experiences, going through that grief, being that nurturer, that was a, a, a part of me. And with my mom being that leader, wanting to heal um, and others heal, it led me into the career of counseling. Now, let me tell you, when I first enrolled at Coastal, I was an early childhood education major. And I had that first internship in a kindergarten class. And through that one experience, I realized this is not the career for me, <laughs> but I still want to continue to give back, you know, and help in the education arena, you know, with the blowing of the nose and it's not my forte, mm -hmm. but I wanted to be in that educational setting um, and give back. So through that experience with Horry County Schools and assisting students, whether social, emotional or through their educational transition, we focused on a lot of things. We looked at the sense of fitting in versus belonging because we know middle school is a whole world into itself. You know, we focused on being your true, authentic self, being that person that you're supposed to be not that person that everybody else wants us to be. And that affects a student's mental health. That's, you know, depression and anxiety. We focused on GPI because as we know, education is important. And I tell my students and my parents that GPA is like a credit score for parents. It's going to determine what school you can attend, how much scholarship money you will receive, 
and some other entities. So I emphasize on the importance of that GPA, having that sense of empathy versus sympathy, and then also having those intimate conversations with those parents and for those parents to realize this is your child's journey, not yours. They're the ones sitting in, in this classroom. So we have to make sure their career goals align to what they want to do and what they want to focus on in life. That's pretty dope. And, and you said something that I think is a t-shirt. Your GPA is your parents' what? Your GPA is like a credit score for parents. It's going to determine how much money you're going to receive, the location of the school, if it's a, jun- you know, a, a junior college, if it's you know a four-year college. Now, don't get me wrong. There are some students who start off at the community or technical school and then transition to a four-year college university. And that's wonderful because mm-hmm. nine times out of 10, that student is attending that technical school on life scholarship, need-based and larger tuition assistance. So it's free of charge. So yeah. I'd rather you attend free of charge on the front end. So whenever you go into um, that four-year college university, you're like, hey, I want to earn my master's degree. Nine times out of 10, we're going to have to pay for it. So if we can get that free college on the front end, and then you know we have to use those student loans um, or additional scholarships on the back end. Um, so I just want to put that disclaimer in there you know, as well. That's awesome. That's awesome. So at what point, what caused you to take the leap and go into private practice? Let me let me ask you a few questions, give you something to think about. Because, you know, and I'm going off script, but that's fine. What caused you to take the leap? And when you took the leap, did everybody support you or did some people treat you like Coach Prime? Why are you leaving us? Why are you doing this? You know what I'm saying? What, what happened? What made you take the leap and how did people receive it? I took the leap because I wanted to do more. I loved working with Horry County Schools. I loved working with the students, but I wanted to, to do more and, and be able to give back more. So I decided to take that leap. Was I nervous and or anxious? Was it a vulnerable moment for me? Absolutely. Because I'm going from a sense of security to the unknown, but I would not take that leap back for anything. And when I did leave um, North Beach High School, you know, they were parents who were sad. You know, they were teachers and students that said, oh, my gosh, where are you going? Um, but I took that leap and I'm enjoying every minute of it. That's awesome. And I love to see leaders pivot. You know what I'm saying? When you know, like you said, you wanted more. And I remember when I decided, OK, I'm retiring from law, law enforcement. I'm a police chief. I knew how Coach Prime felt. People were like, what are you doing? I thought you was going to be our police chief for the next 20 years. I'm like, no, because I knew I had more to do. You know what I'm saying? I felt like I'd done my part, but I knew, just like you, I wanted more, but I felt like I had more to do. So I I applaud you for that. Yeah. Sometimes you outgrow people, places, and things, and that was just one of them, you know, in that moment. And that moment continued to be a movement. So I can continue to give back through my community, through mental health, um, community organ- organizations, you know, or however else I can I can give. That's awesome. So can I call you Jessica? Absolutely. All right, Jessica. How critical is our mental health to our overall health? To talk about and focus on mental health, we have to first be able to define mental health. So if we define mental health, it includes a person's personal um, emotional, mental, and behavioral well-being. 
we're, you know, we have to take a closer look at how it affects adults and children and the way they think, they feel, and they act. Um, it also plays a role in how we handle stress related to others and making healthy choices. And when we talk about mental health, it brings me back to a quote from Bill Clinton. He says, mental illness is nothing to be ashamed of, but stigma and bias shames us all. So if we think about that quote, there are three words that stand out to me, the word shame, the word stigma, and the word bias. So if we you know, put our thinking caps on and we think about a time when a teacher, a coach, or a boss recognized us for our work and how those words continue to inspire us and impact us today. So for me, it wasn't actually my high school guidance counselor. It was my high school track coach that encouraged myself and my sister to grow um, and to do better. So when we look about look at three reasons how mental health is critical to our overall physical health, mental health affects our physical health. So if we dig a little deeper, if someone has cancer, we will not blame them for this illness in their body. So why do we place that stigma and that blame on mental health? So we look at depression. Depression can lead to suicide ideations, and if untreated, it may lead to a suicide attempt. And we're not balanced in that way if we do not allow physical and mental health to be on the forefront and not have that 80-20, but that, that 50-50. So one other issue would be to end stigma and shame so it can lead to better lives, embracing those imperfections and understanding that healing is a process and it's not going to happen overnight. And then lastly, realizing that mental health affects everything in our world, from home, from school, in our community. But we have to make sure that we do not allow those experiences to affect who we were, who we are now, and where we're going, and the importance to reach out for help when we need it. That's a lot. That's a lot. It is a lot. That's a lot. So I'm going to tell you, you know, because the name of this platform is Safe Conversations. And if I can't be that example, uh, then why are we even here? But I'm going I'm to share something with you. Um, 24 years, I was in law enforcement. Uh, good career. You know, I got a chance to train with law enforcement executives from across the world through the FBI National Academy. You know, I was the first African-American police chief for the city of Georgetown. I was the assistant police chief and interim police chief at the Horry County Police Department. I've really had a good career. Prior to that, I served four years in the Army, in the U.S. Army, as a Morse code interceptor. I worked in the military intelligence field. I had a lot of fun. And shame and stigma, stigma, it's real. It's real. You know, uh, I remember when uh, two years ago, I had back surgery. Back surgery. I, had a, I had to have a fusion. Never been put to sleep. Never been cut. Never had a broken bone. So the doctor was like, hey, um, what are your concerns? I said, going to sleep. I, I'm not worried about the pain. I'm not worried about getting cut. Going to sleep. And he said, listen, Kevin, that's that's the least of your worries. We, you know, it's like it's like a super station in here. You know, one person's on your pressure. One person's on your, that's the, that's the least of your worries. Professional, you'll be in good hands. So I had that going on. My daughter was finishing up law school. My daughter was planning to get married. I was contemplating transitioning from a career that I love, just like you, to step into another realm and do more, right? And so 
back and forth uh, to the VA. And, uh, you know, my VA administrator says to me one day, Kevin, have you ever had mental health counseling? No, no. Hmm. You should consider it. And I'm telling you, I walked away from that conversation. Jessica was like, am I weak? You know what I'm saying? Uh, is, am I soft? You know, what's, what's making this, my rep tell me, you know what I'm saying? Or recommend that. So some time went on, time went on. Finally, I said, you know what? What the hell? What the hell? They recommended um, someone to me through the VA. I remember the day I showed up like yesterday. In my mind, I didn't know what to expect. You know what I'm saying? I really didn't know what to expect. So I walk in there, I'm tight. And it was, uh, it was a gentleman. And uh, I walked in. Uh, he had the little mister blowing, right? With a little mint smell. I'm like, oh, hell, okay. I'm about to go in the sunken place, like the movie, right? I'm mean, about to put me in the sunken place. So I sit down and we just started talking. We had a conversation. And he said, well, we talked about childhood. We talked about now. We talked about surgeries law school, marriage, we talked about transitioning to another career. And he stopped at some point and he said, you got a lot of shit going on. That's what he said, just like that. And I was like, and it, it broke the ice. You know what I'm saying? It, it really broke the ice and allowed us to start peeling layers back. And I'm here to tell you, and I will tell anyone, I will go shout it on top of the mountain and over the land. Best thing I ever did. Best thing I ever did. So I just wanted to throw that out there because shame and stigma in, in thinking that you're weak or something's wrong with you, or you know, is a big deal, especially from a man's perspective. And, and, and topple that with an African-American man's perspective. Because, and I know I can see you itching, I, I, I know you're ready to dive in on this, but when I grew up, if you had a problem, where did you go? To the preacher. That's right. We went to the preacher. We didn't go to no counselors. We, you know, I don't know if we even realized counselors existed, but if, in the African-American community, if you had an issue, you went to the preacher. Mm-hmm. Now, we all know now that, that yes, you know, spiritual advisors and, and, and coaching. And yeah, that's good. But would you agree that sometimes we need more, especially when we're stuck? Absolutely. And, you know, I tell people all the time, God would not have given me these skills not to help people of color. They already have that stigma based on social media, based on movies. But then when they get in there, they're like, oh, you know, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. They come in with that expectation of these white walls, no windows. And with myself and other clinicians, we try to go for that look of that boutique style. So it's not plain, simple Mary Jane, but it has some color, mm-hmm. color in that room. So those individuals feel comfortable. And I'm so glad that the counselor that you went to allowed you to feel welcomed and that sense of belonging, because that allows you to open up and feel comfortable and be able to encourage that trusting relationship. Because if you don't have that trust with your counselor, it's not going to go anywhere and you're not going to receive that help that you need to receive. Wow. Wow. 
Wow. So is there a major disparity in the way the minority community views mental health uh, versus other cultures? And can you just speak to that? Why? Absolutely. And, and there are four key things that come to mind when we think about the disparity. The first one is, you know, the availability of having highly qualified providers and being able to access them and get there. A lot of times there's issues with transportation. You know, in today's world, we rely heavily on technology. So back in the day, we gave you paperwork to complete. Now everything is digital. So if we think about our older population, it's going to be difficult for them to be able to complete that paperwork when it comes to documentation and those questions that they may ask. And also the taboo regarding mental health. You know, again, that sense of shame, vulnerability, and fear. And that motto of what goes on in this house stays in this house. And that's something that we have to get rid of. And that discrimination. So whenever we find a provider online or our um, medical physician has given us a referral for a provider, we go in that notion and we do not own that room. And when I say own that room, I mean more so when we get in there and we feel uncomfortable letting that provider know I'm not comfortable, you know, I'm going to end this session. Thank you so much for your time. Because what we generally do historically will sit in that office, have that provider go over paperwork protocol. They ask us these questions. We're not asked answering them truthfully. So we get misdiagnosed. And then when it comes to medication management, we're getting the wrong medication. So you're the same way. You're leaving the same way you came in. So it's the importance of feeling comfortable. And if you do not feel comfortable saying, hey, you know, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it, but I'm going to try to find another provider. And then the last thing is the lack of education and knowledge surrounding mental health. You know, it's important that we are an advocate. It's important that we are aware of triggers of mental health statistics. And if we see something, say something. Mm. We don't want to get to that point where we say, well, I thought I heard him say, yeah. or I heard him you know, say this, but I didn't say anything. Or I knew he was thinking about that, but I didn't have that empathy. It was more of that sympathy versus what can I do to help you? You know, when we've completed suicide. Yeah. So it's, it's important. It's too yeah. late. Yeah. It's too late. Wow. You know, I had a... Uh an experience with a, with an officer that worked with me a long time ago. And, you know, I'm on the executive level, but I see him all the time and his paperwork would come across my desk. So I knew something, I knew something was off because always sharp, always tight, had it together. And I'm like, something's wrong. You know, I go to his supervisor, his direct supervisor. And I said, Hey, get with so-and-so and, and, and talk to him. You know what I'm saying? See what's going on. Let them know we care. And honestly, Jessica, I felt like in that situation, I failed that person because the time that I took to tell somebody else to step to them, I should have did it. Meanwhile, fast forward, you know, it ended with a, a phone call from a detention center where, you know, this officer was arrested. Uh, and it all stemmed from personal stuff that he had going on. You know what I'm saying? So when you said, uh, see something, say something, uh, that, uh, 
that uh, that really that really stuck me. Another thing that stuck me was, you know, I didn't have my mic on, but you would have heard me say hallelujah because when I was a kid, oh my goodness, what happened in this house? Stay in this house. Ain't nobody business. You know what I mean? And and that is how we lived. We were taught to. I had an uncle. You heard of Valdosta, Georgia? Okay. So I would go with my granddad to Valdosta, Georgia every summer. There was an older man named Uncle Snow. Very nice gentleman, soft smoking. Uh, and we would go fishing. We'd go here. We, could, we It was always the three of us, my granddad, Uncle Snow, and me. And he would say, hey, son, you want something? No, sir. Because we were taught don't impose on people. You know what I'm saying? Stay in your place. Stay in your lane. Uh, and he and this was over a two-week period. No, sir, I'm good. So my granddad stepped to me. Best lesson I ever got. He says, Kevin, why do you keep telling Uncle Snow no? I said, well, uh, I just I don't want to be no problem, you know, impose on him. And he said, listen, he wants to do something for you. Don't rob him of his opportunity, and better yet, don't rob him of his blessing. Let him do something for you. And Jessica, I remember Kroger Savon was big. That You know, next day we're in Kroger. He said, son, you want something? I said, yes, sir. And I saw his whole body shift, like, yes. You know, he didn't say yes, but I saw, you know, and so go ahead, go ahead, go ahead, get yourself, you know. So I go back, and I got the first uh, pack of green seedless grapes I could find. You know what I'm saying? I came back and I'm telling you, it was just that little thing, but he was so happy. You know what I'm saying? He was in a good place that he was just able to do something. I don't even know how I ended up talking about Uncle Snow, but I just felt like I wanted to tell you that. Well, and for him, it was that sense of feeling needed and wanted, and that's what he needed from you. So for, from, for you allowing him to do that and for you saying yes, for him, he felt needed and wanted, and you were telling him, I love you. And when you talked about your uncle, it reminds me, well, not that situation, but it brings to mind, I believe it's the movie Soul Food, where they had the uncle upstairs where you would slide the food under the door. That's, you know, a concern with mental health right. and wellness. You know, when we have a cookout in the backyard and Uncle Johnny drinks until he can't drink anymore. Mm. Those are concerns with substance abuse, but mm -hmm. it becomes the norm. So right. we miss it. Yeah. But if we think back, mental illness in families happened a long time ago, but we just ignored her. Oh, she'll be all right. She's just in her room. But no, she had that sense of isolation, which triggered that depression. And then when it happens, you know, and, 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 and I say it, you know, because you talked about depression and I'm thinking about untreated mental health issues. And, you know, I mean, you've seen it. Things escalate sometimes and sometimes tragedies happen. And I remember, you know, there was a, a, a close family member in my family. Wasn't an uncle. He's like a distant cousin, but we called him uncle. He just had that thing about him and he took his life. Nobody wanted to believe it. When you saw him, he looked strong. He talked strong. Everything about him was strong. He did everything for the family. He helped everybody out. 
people were angry. People were, I mean, confused. I'm like, how, why would he do this? You know, there was some underlying health issues, but, but, you know, to me, it's a tragedy when things escalate because we don't see something and we say something, you know what I'm saying? And we don't identify mm-hmm. that, Hey, somebody's off their pattern. Something's wrong. We need, we need to intervene somehow. And sometimes we tend to pour in everybody else's cup but our own. And when we do pour into our cup, there is a hole at the bottom of it. So even though we're pouring into it, it's still not there. It's still not enough. So we have to make sure we continue to take care of ourselves. Wow. Pouring in a cup with a hole in the bottom. That's pretty awesome. Um, has it been challenging being an African-American woman in your career field, gaining the respect of your colleagues and, you know, maneuvering around and, and trying to, you are a woman of excellence. And I know that, you know what I'm saying? I see you, but has Thank it you. been a struggle? Has it come easy? What challenges have you faced? Absolutely. And, and, and in reality, if we're being transparent, sometimes your complexion is more important than your intellectual ability when it comes to the diversity in the field. Um, Sometimes that leads to you not wanting to trust yourself. You know, sometimes we begin to second guess ourselves. And it reminds me of a um, moment that I had in the office where I'm talking to this potential client on the phone and then they come into the office and they realize I'm a woman of color. So they're taken back a little bit and they're like, are you Dr. Jessica Green? Yes, I am. So sometimes in those moments and in, in, in the office, you can see those nonverbal cues on their face where they're taken back um, at times. And with that also being said, sometimes it does not allow you to, allow you to be your true authentic self mm-hmm. just because of that disparity between mm-hmm. yourself and, and, and the um, client, whereas a clinician, you have to take a step back mm-hmm. because you want to make sure they get that proper that proper care. Um, so when it comes to representation and you know the, the clinical world and a person of color, we need more of it. You know, we, we definitely need more of it. And when we talk about diversity, sometimes we have to quote unquote code switch. So when we talk about code switching, that's when we adjust our style of speech, our appearance, our behavior in order to fit into that realm. Because sometimes we have a client where we have to be um, proper and prim, and then sometimes we have that client where we can, you know, use language and speech that's appropriate for that setting. Um, And it's tough because at the same time, we build that connection with that client, but then we have to make sure we're also staying within our our scope of practice. So that code switching is tough. That is what I was going to ask you. You know what I'm saying? How hard is it to, because you're telling the truth. I mean, we've, we've all, we've all been there. I have family members, you know, I was born in Harlem when I uh, was 10 years old, we moved to Charleston, South Carolina. So I never really picked up the full down South and dirty Gullah Geechee accent. You know what I'm saying? I never picked it up, but don't think I can't talk it. You know what I'm saying? And mm-hmm. so I have cousins. I'm, what? You know what I'm saying? And we go back and forth. But again, you know what I'm saying? In a professional environment, uh, you know, you level up and do what you got to do. But 
what I want to ask you is, in your opinion, and I think you heard you, I heard you say it, is that okay? As long as you recognize that you're not putting yourself in a box to fit in, you're not hiding from uh, people, your authentic self. What do you think about that? Is it okay? And, and that's, a, that's an awesome question because you don't want to code switch because you can't be your true authentic self and be able to help that client or if it's a speaking engagement, whatever you have going on. But at the same time, you know how we talked about that sense of fitting and that sense of belonging with your middle school and high school kids. The same thing goes for us as adults because when we get into that, that setting, we have to put that mask on just because of the clientele that we're dealing with. We put it on at work. We put it on at home. We put it on when we're out in the community settings. Is it okay? No. But is it something that we do unconsciously? Yes. And we do it every day, all day. And if we sit back and we think about it, we do it all the time. We do. But it just comes second nature. Yeah. Yeah. Do you ever feel cut down or low or small. And, and I'm going to tell you about my experience. You know, I've heard people say who hadn't looked like me different times in my career. Hey, how you doing? Oh, you speak well, right? And so what am I thinking? How am I supposed to speak? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Have you have, and I know you have, I just want you to kind of, you know, maybe give us an example, talk about it a little bit, because it can mess with you. You know what I'm saying? Um, my daughter asked me one day, a couple years ago, and I never realized, you, somebody ever asked you a profound question that you never thought about? My daughter says, hey, mm-hmm. let me ask you something. I've been watching you my whole life. I've been watching you my whole life. You go hard. You you don't let anybody outwork you. You, you try to help people. You do this, you do this. She said, why? Why do you go so hard? Yes. And I had to think about it. And you know what the answer was? I never wanted to fail. I was afraid to fail. You know what I'm saying? And I don't know if that's healthy or not. You know what I'm saying? But I was afraid to fail. Yeah. And then, Kevin, we had to realize, too, failure is a part of life. There were those moments where we heard no. Yeah. You know, and, and I, I tell young ladies and young men all the time, if you hear that one, no, you keep going because ultimately you're going to hear that yes. And when you talk about, you know, your reason why you push so hard. Also, for me, it's allowing black young girls to realize they can be and do whatever they want to do and be and not allow those lived experience to determine where they're going. I was a product of a single parent. So the expectation was not for Jessica to earn a doctoral degree. That's right. But it was because of that perseverance. It was because of my mom who continued to push us mm. that we were all able, you know, to be successful. Like my twin sister is a an elementary school assistant principal. Mm. My older brother Bobby is a store manager of a super Walmart. Oh, wow. And my um, middle brother Bobby Norman that last year, two years ago. Um, due to COVID complications, but we were all successful and didn't allow that to determine who we were. So when people ask, say, Hey, I want to be just like you. I'm, I tell them all the time, 
you don't want to be just like me because I don't want you to go through that lived experience that I did. I want you to be better than me and be able to set those, those realistic goals for yourself. Wow. That's awesome. What resources uh, are out there for individuals who may not have insurance or the means to pay for mental health? How can, how can they get help? Well, there's a site called Open Path Psychotherapy Collective, and it's a really neat site because you're able to do a couple of things. You're able to choose the clinician that you want, and you can tailor it to what you're looking for. If you're looking for a person of color, if you're looking for a certain price, and the price range is usually $40 to $70 um, per session. And then we also have Walk One Mental Health that's available, and also finding an agency or a counseling center that has a sliding scale. So they'll look at your income and based on your income, they will determine, you know, what you may qualify for as far as the sessions and the price. And lastly, psychology today is an awesome site. And again, with that one, you're able to tailor it to self-pay, your zip code, the type of counselor you're looking for and what you're dealing with at that present time. So those are, are a couple of a couple of resources that are available. So there are resources out there for, for people who feel economically challenged. Um, that you know, do, do you find that a lot of people don't step out and get the help that they need due just to lack of education and not knowing about things like this? Yes, definitely the lack of education and being an advocate and having that sense of shame because if I went, you know, somewhere and they're like, oh, I'm seeing a therapist, they're like. You know, they kind of look at you like you coughed during COVID, like, ooh, mm mm-mm, you know? Um, But now we're breaking that stigma. And my hopes are, is that when we talk about mental health and wellness, it becomes a part of everyday language. Mm. You know, we talk about it just like we're talking about, you know, it's cold outside in the next couple of days, it's going to be warm. But just having it a part of everyday conversation. And when we feel overwhelmed, we reach out. We reach out to that person that we know we can talk to in confidence when we text them and say, hey, you have a minute to talk. You know, they don't read it because, you know, you know, a lot of times with these cell phones, we have those read receipt on. So I know you looked at that text message, but you didn't reply back. But that person that texts you back or calls you back and say, hey, I'm doing something right now. Can you give me my 10 minutes and I'll give you a call back? So having that team, I call them the Fab Five, but having that team by your side definitely helps. Yeah. It's needed. Um, do you ever feel like, okay, I'm out here grinding. Um, I'm working to improve the mental health of everyone around me. I'm, I'm serving. I'm advocating. I'm trying to get a, help people get educated about resources. I'm giving. I'm giving. I'm giving. You alluded to it earlier. You know what I'm saying? And I never heard it described that way. A cup with a hole in the bottom. You know, I kind of describe it a, a different way, and I'm going to share it with you. Um I talk about um, how it's okay for leaders to eat too, right? Because, hey, within the tribe, you know, hey, we're hungry. Somebody got to go out and hunt, right? Somebody got to go hunt for the food, so off go the leaders. They come back. They're going to be involved somehow in preparing. They're going to be involved in they're overseeing things. They're setting the table, and people are sitting down, and they're leading and eating, and they feel good about it. Somebody drops something on the floor, they go and pick it up. Somebody needs some more water, they make sure they got it. Well, after a while, their stomach starts to grumble, right? 
And it's like, oh, man, I'm hungry. But when you go in there, it's all gone, and it's time to go back out and hunt again. You see what I'm saying? And I've seen leaders uh, over the years break down. So just like they used to say back in the day, uh, well, who going to preach to the preacher? You know what I'm saying? Who's going to take care of Dr. Green if Dr. Green needs help? And is Absolutely. that an issue in your field? Oh, it, it's an issue every day, all day for therapists because we give so much to other people and we have to make sure we continue to take care of ourselves because we can't help anybody else if we don't take care of us first. And there's that old taboo that I think about. It used to be, oh, if you work all these hours and spend so much time in the office, you'll be more productive than anyone else. But that's not the case anymore because that leads to real burnout. And as leaders, we have to make sure we take care of ourselves first. Um, we're no good to anyone if we don't take care of ourselves and learning how to say no and, and delegating when we can. And as a leader, it's hard to delegate because we may think, oh, they're not going to do, do it the way that I want it to be done, but it got done. You know, and also treating self-care on our calendar as if we're putting a board meeting on our calendar. When we put it on that calendar, a lot of times we tend to write things for ourselves in pencil and things for someone else in pen. It's easier to erase that pencil than it is that pen. So we have to treat self-care as if it's a board meeting, as if it's a meeting that we cannot miss because we tend to take care of everybody else again versus taking care of us. And as therapists who are in private practice, what helps myself and another clinician will look at the calendar. And if there are five Mondays in the month of May, that fifth Monday or that fifth Tuesday or that fifth Wednesday, we'll take that day off because we call those bonus days. So those are extra days if we were working, we'll get paid for. But we also have, you know, our consecutive four weeks already done. So we call those bonus days. So anytime we see a fifth Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, or Fridays, or even Saturday, we make sure that we take that day off for self-care. So we get excited when we see those bonus days during the week because yeah, we know, yeah. okay, what are we going to do? That's the time we can take off because we're not losing money. We could be gaining money, but we have that choice and we have that option. So that's something that we do um, in private practice, which helps us to be able to find that work-life balance to make sure we're taking care of us and to make sure we understand that we're humans and not robots mm. because we tend to move like robots. Yeah, we do what we know. You know, uh, I remember first time I took my kids to Disney. My wife says, uh, hey, we need to take some time off and take these kids to Disney. They're getting bigger. Guess what I said? I said, go ahead and take them. I'm good. I can't take off from work. She's like, what are you talking about? I said, I can't take off. Now, why was I stockpiling general leave and vacation time? I had more than anybody. You know what I'm saying? But I watched my parents day shift graveyard, and I felt bad. I, I mean, initially, I felt I felt bad about taking a bonus day, right? Of course, years later, you realize it because if you're out there grinding, whether it be the public schools or your private practice, nobody's going to say, hey, Jay, 
How you doing today? Mm-hmm. You've been working hard, girl. Why don't you take a bonus? You got to do it. You got to do it for yourself. And I learned that whether it's golf or whether it's a concert or fishing or getting my feet done, whatever. You know what I'm saying? We leaders have to, you know, we have to realize that it's okay for us to eat too. Because eventually, if we don't eat, we gonna break down and we can't really help the people that we're that we're trying to serve. And historically, if you have a person who decides, you know, I'm burnt out, I'm putting in my letter of resignation. If you ask them, how many days have you used? Have you looked and see how many days you had banked for leave? And they have 20 days whenever used them. So we just have to make sure we use them. And I know as parents, we're like, no, I need to save my days in case, you know, my kids get sick and I need to stay home. But in the same breath again, we have to take time out for us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's awesome. So, Dr. Green, if someone wanted to uh, retain you and, and use your services, how would they reach out to you? How can they find you? Well, I am definitely listed on Psychology Today. Um, my profile is there along with um, access to me via email. Um, but they can go on Psychology Today, find my profile, send me an email, and then we'll have the office give them a call to schedule an appointment. Okay. And how long does it normally take from the time someone reaches out to you if you or your office to reach back and get something set up? No more than 48 hours. Okay. Okay. So any other websites, any emails, any other way to contact you if somebody needs help? They can email me. Um, and it's my name, Jessica Y, as in yellow, green with the E on the end, at gmail.com. Awesome. Awesome. And then we'll make sure it gets to um, who it needs to get to so they can schedule That's an awesome. appointment. That's awesome. So, would you come back? Absolutely. We had a blast. Absolutely. I know it was fun. I thought it was fun. We had a good time, good conversation. Uh, if, in terms of mental health, right, you get 30 seconds. I am known for throwing a curveball. I throw curveballs, right? You get 30 seconds to. Give your drop the mic elevator speech about how important mental health is. So I'll call this our call to action. So that's that's what we'll call it. So when I think about our, our call to action, it makes me focus on the need to get over our fear about talking about mental health and wellness and the value that it has and how it impacts our ability to be leaders in those leadership roles, whether we're a leader at school, a leader in our home, or even a caretaker for our parents. Because after COVID, that's been the norm, you know, for for some of us. And also our need to redefine mental health and leadership by leading, but healing at the same time. Mm -hmm. If you can change one person's understanding of it, our understanding of what they are capable of, an understanding of how much people care about them and an understanding of how powerful being a change agent in your community can be. You can change the world and be unstoppable, but we have to start somewhere. So that quote, it doesn't matter who you are or where you came from or where you come from, your ability to triumph begins with you. And it takes that one moment, which Mm -hmm. will turn into a movement. It takes that leadership skill to build relationships. It's our ability to build connections. It's our ability to be courageous. It's our ability to have compassion. Mm -hmm. So what I want people to think about is think about what's something that you can start doing. 
What's something you can stop doing or need to stop doing? What's something that we can continue to do that's going really, really well? And Mm -hmm. one thing that we need to change the way we're doing it in order to focus on mental health, in order to, if we see something, say something, our ability to be courageous, our ability to have that empathy and have that sense of understanding and listening with intent and listening with purpose. And when someone needs our help or need our assistance, if we can't do it, say, hey, I'm not going to be able to help you, but let's together find someone who can. Y'all heard it first. Dr. Green just dropped the mic. Thank you so much for spending time with us on Safe Conversations with Kevin Waits. We had an awesome, awesome conversation. I want you to promise me one thing, and I won't make you agree to it first. I, I want you to promise me that when you were on CNN and MSNBC and you just big time doing your thing, Dr. J, come back and break bread with us. Come back and talk to us a little while. You know what I'm saying? Because I see that for you. I see you on large platforms doing your thing, advocating, educating, and just the passion that you have about your career field is, is in my opinion, unmatched for anybody else that I know in this field. So thank you. Uh, you listen to a, a, another episode of Safe Conversations where we unpack our bags. Uh, I'm Kevin Waits, and I'll see you next time. Peace. The Safe Conversations with Kevin Waits podcast is hosted and produced by Kevin Waits. Executive producer, Ken Johnson. Find the Safe Conversations with Kevin Waits podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Odyssey, Amazon Music, or where you get your podcasts. Find Kevin Waits on Facebook at Kevin Waits and join the Safe Conversations group. Follow the Mino Line Media Podcast Network on IG at Mino Line Media. Get the Mino Line Media app in the App Store or Google Play. The Safe Conversations with Kevin Waits podcast is a Mean Old Line Media production.